0: Welcome to Advance Your Art. If you are interested in making money from your art, using your artistic background to your advantage when switching careers, or if you are just plain stuck, you've come to the right place. Now let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you're interested in learning how to build a company, make money from your art, or if you're just feeling stuck, you've come to the right place. Every week, I sit down with a creative entrepreneur to discuss the who, what, and why of their journey. If you like this episode, please remember to like, subscribe, and share with a friend. Today, I'm sitting down with Jared Hanning, who helps business owners think at a higher level. Jared, hello. Welcome to the show. How are you? Hello, hello. Thanks for having me. Of course, my absolute pleasure. So for my listeners who are less familiar with your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do?
1: I am a mindset coach, Um, similar to a strength coach. You go to the gym, all you have to do is show up and your trainer says, do two of these, three of those, come back, see me tomorrow. And you get results just like that without thinking. So in my world, uh, we accomplished a similar result with exercises we call mindset push-ups, And uh, they come to the mindset gym uh, in my world, which is a figurative place where hmm. we use a Nobel nominated process that teaches them how to think at a higher level.
0: Oh, that's very interesting. Okay, great. I, and I'm gonna go into great detail about that. But first, I wanna ask about your background which is in music. So what initially made you want to uh, study the viola?
1: Uh, Okay. Okay. So um, I didn't, I didn't want to study the viola. (laughs) That's the answer. I did not. I was um, forced into it against my will. Um, I played, I had been playing piano for two years and uh, in the sixth grade, I saw Well, I was in the fifth grade and the, so the sixth graders were like, you know, these giant beings. Oh my gosh, I can only aspire to be so wonderful as a sixth grader. And, um, I saw the, the strings, you know, they were in the strings class. I was like, oh my gosh, that, yes. I, I don't know how I just knew that I wanted to play the violin in the strings class. So well, I become a sixth grader. Now it's my turn. I get to play in strings. So I go in, I say, Hey, I want to play the violin. And the teacher goes, you can't, your hands are too big. You have to play the viola or the cello. And I was like, there is no way I am hauling that big thing around. And who's heard of a viola? So I was like, no, I don't want to. I want to play the violin. Like I am very clear on this. I don't, you know, t- take another kid who's not sure what instrument they want to play because I'm sure what instrument I want to play. He's like, no, you can't. Your hands are too big. Um, so he, he absolutely refused to let me play the violin. I don't know if I signed up the to class too late. I don't know what happened, but I missed the boat on that one. So I was like, okay, fine. I'll take the viola. That's sort of violin-ish. I don't have to haul this huge cello instrument around. Um, and then, of course, later on, um, maybe 10 years later, it, it dawned on me that he was full of crap. Uh, it had nothing to do with the size of my hands. It's just that he already had too many violin players in his class. Uh, and so he needed the other harmonies <laughs> filled out.
0: <laughs> uh, gotcha. But, I mean, you went on... on from there so there must have been something about the viola that you eventually uh, grabbed yes yeah yeah enjoyed.
1: there was there was after I um I got over the, the the hurdle so obviously you got to learn a new clef and mm-hmm. I was very complainy, whiny about that um I had already had to learn treble and bass for piano I didn't want to learn a new one but after you learn a new clef and then kind of get a feel for it so after a couple minutes in, I was I was sold. I was like, oh my gosh, I had no idea. And so by the end of sixth grade, I was just like, oh my gosh, I had no idea music was like this. Um, it was so wonderful. And at that point, I realized how much I hated the piano. And um, like you just don't know. Like you you don't yeah. know until you get exposure to a new instrument. And then when I was teaching, I would have kids that like they never practiced. They just were not fun. Um, on violin, I'd have these violin students. And then one day in high school, they'd be at their friend's house who would put a guitar in their hands and they wouldn't put it down.
0: Hmm.
1: And, um, that's one of the, when I was teaching back in the day, that was one of the things I learned to communicate with parents is that when it's the right instrument and the right style of music and the right teacher, then everything flows. Mm -hmm. but you can't choose that for your kid. Like, I understand you want your kid to play piano, but they might be a tuba player. Mm. Um, You can't choose that. The instrument kind of chooses you at the same time. Uh, But yes, you're right. You're right. I did. Um, I did. I went on and it became my livelihood for 20 years. um, And and I loved it. It was, it was great.
0: Yeah. So you brought up an interesting point about the the instrument chooses you. As when you were a... A music prof- prof- a teacher uh, or professor, both. Um, were you? How did you help students? I guess find the instrument that was better suited for them.
1: That I couldn't do because I only taught violin and viola lessons. Okay. Uh, later on, maybe I started teaching guitar and cello. Yeah. Um, yeah. I did talk to the parents about it. I'm like, okay, here's the deal. Um, we can't choose for them what instrument they should like. Mm-hmm. Um, they have to kind of find their own way. And sometimes it happens in mysterious ways. So mm-hmm. if you, if you're upset that your kid doesn't want to practice, it might not be because they don't like music. It, it could be because we're trying to make them learn it in the wrong style. Um, on my end though, I could expose the kids to different types of music. So we would learn like fiddle tunes and jazz tunes and rock and roll tunes and classical tunes. And, um, so I could expose them a little bit there. Mm-hmm. Um, and then on the teacher end, it's also just talking to the parents, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not a good fit for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's possible that a different teacher is, is all they need to really turn on. Um, that that's all I can think of for okay. that. that sure, sure.
0: Oh, sure. Sure. So tell me more about then your career in, in the music I mean, as a musician, because I know also you were playing in, in symphonies. So what was that like?
1: Um, so I would say normal freelance career. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you, you're just stitching together small paychecks. So you play in a couple of regional symphonies, um, teach private lessons, play weddings. Um, uh, eventually I was principal viola with the South Carolina Philharmonic. Um, I played with them for 20 years, but I was principal for 10. And uh, during that time though, I I don't know. I was just kind of like frustrated and disillusioned because music there didn't seem to be a way to earn 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 your keep right mm-hmm. um it was such low paying wherever you went even in symphonies i mean gosh by the time you factor in your drive time uh, by the time you factor in the practice time by the time you factor in any you know maintenance on your instrument or whatever mm-hmm. um you're you might as well work at mcdonald's for way less headache uh it's just the money's not there So I, uh, in the beginning, I, I would experiment with other things. I was like, well, maybe I should do something else for a living. So I would like do real estate investing and I bought houses all over the country. And I I was even on ABC nightline for some of the houses that we were doing because Mm -hmm. it it was, it was innovative. Like we would buy a house, the whole, the whole house complete for $7,000, $5,000. And uh, then we would owner finance it to somebody for $30,000 and uh, they would fix it up and they'd, they'd get to be a homeowner. It was, it was pretty innovative stuff that we were doing. Um, so I would do that for a little while, but uh, it just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't like music. It wasn't my calling, you know, and then I might do like remodeling houses, construction, uh, but it just wasn't fulfilling. It wasn't my calling. So after a while, it dawned on me that the problem wasn't the horse I was riding. It was how I was riding the horse. So. I, I just rethought the way I was solving the problem of music and income. Mm -hmm. And I did three things that I would recommend anybody in music to do. Um, and this, these three things took me out of working like 40 hours a week, making 50,000 a year. And it took me into working 20 hours a week, making a hundred thousand a year. And I would recommend anybody in the arts make these three changes. Um, The first change that I made was I took my time out of the equation for teaching lessons. The parents don't care how much time I spend with the kid. The parents care how well the kid is progressing. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: And it's up to me to choose the best path, the most efficient path. I get to choose that. The parents could care less. So instead of teaching one-on-one, I started to teach in hybrid and groups and, um, you know, courses and online and just lots of different ways to work with the kids so that my time wasn't the issue. Mm-hmm. And, uh, the way that I settled on was for me, for me was the doctor office. So when you go see the doctor, he's got a hallway of patients and patients are in the, the rooms. He might have 10 patients he's going to see in an hour. Each patient's in a different room. Mm -hmm. He pops in for a few minutes. He comes out. Um, In the meantime, there's like a nurse or an administrator that comes in to take care of other things. Well, similar with music, Uh, my students don't need me to unpack their instrument. They don't need me to tune. They don't need me to warm up. Um, They need me to demonstrate. They need me to diagnose and they Mm -hmm. need me to describe the exercise to help or strengthen that particular move. So that's what I would do. I would just hop in. um, I would demonstrate. I would uh, describe, you know, this is the exercise we need to do. Um, And then I would leave and then they would go to work practicing. Mm -hmm. So then I'd be in another room working with another student. That one move doubled my teaching income. Now, you might think, as I did in the beginning, I was like, oh, crap, man, this is going to be a disaster. You might think, yeah, but aren't the parents going to feel like you're cheating them? Because you're you're not working with them while they're still paying for that block of time. Mm-hmm. And I was worried about that at first. But what ended up happening was that the parents were super thankful. The kids were super thankful because they all remembered a time in their life when they were young. And they were taking lessons, and their teacher would say, Okay, play this. And they would start to play it, and immediately their teacher would stop them. No, 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 like this. And for them, their experience is like, Geez, dude, this is my first time. Give me a chance to at least get the ball rolling. Mm -hmm. I mean, gosh. So, because of this, the parents would come to me and they'd be like, Oh my gosh, if my trumpet teacher did that, I would probably still be playing. If my piano teacher did that, I'd probably still be playing. So what was happening is while I was out of the room, the students were able to practice, make mistakes, not worry about somebody stopping or correcting them. Just total peace. It was like a utopia place to learn. It was wonderful. (laughs) So the parents ended up loving it. I got paid twice as much. The kids were totally thrilled. That's the first thing. I took my time out of teaching. Okay. You can do this by going group, you can do this by going online, you can do this by writing your own course materials and giving it to other instructors, like, you know, the guy who created the Suzuki books, well, he got paid to do that. The guy, the, the uh, group of people that created the string method books, well, they got paid to do that. And kids all over the world are using those methods. That was the first thing. Second thing was I took my time out of playing gigs. Instead of playing gigs, I started booking gigs. So now I could get paid for 10 weddings on one weekend because I booked them and put other musicians in those spots. So now there's not a limit on how much I can make. If I was playing the wedding, there's a hard limit because I can only play one wedding, right? Right. So I took my time out of playing, started booking instead. And the last thing was I stopped telling my students to take their extra money to the music store this one is like a total no brainer. If anybody's teaching, um, I spent 15 minutes filled out a retail license in my state. I called up the music distributors. I said, Hey, I've got a small shop and I like your stuff. Can I carry it? They'd be like, yeah, sure. Just let us know what you need. So the students would come in and they need whatever strings, metronome stand, a new violin. I don't know something. Mm -hmm. I say, all right, come back next week. We'll have one for you. And if it was a new violin, right. That this, distributor would send me like 5 of them for the kids to try out they'd pick one i'd ship the other four back yeah and now i'm getting paid retail that one move with my handful of students put an extra 25,000 in my pocket that year wow so this took me to 20 hours a week working 100,000 a year as a freelance musician i would recommend anybody make these three changes take your time out of teaching give become the retail supplier for their stuff, very easy to set up, and take your time out of performing. Um, yeah, but that was that was life as a musician. I did that for twenty years, um, and then there's a, a kind of an interesting connection between the work I'm doing now. But I, I don't know where you want to go next with this conversation. Yeah, well,
0: well, so that's exactly where I was going to go next was <laughs> what was then then that transition from you doing the you know professional teaching to to what you're doing now, and what made you want to. Become a different type of, of coach.
1: D- different type of coach. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so the thing with the, the teaching and the freelance. So here I am, I'm frustrated. I'm hitting my head against the wall. Why is it that I'm working all this time and I don't have like money to show for it? This doesn't, it's not sustainable. Um, I was only one thought away from my next breakthrough. And that thought in my case was what if I stopped making music responsible for my income? And I became responsible for my income. And what if I stopped thinking like a musician and started thinking like a business owner? Mm -hmm. Like that was the, the thought. Well, you're only one thought away from your next breakthrough. And at that time, one of the things I was doing is I would travel and speak to corporate audiences as a musician, and I would teach them how to access different parts of their brain on demand. I mean, there's lots of exercises that you can do this, lots of ways. Many musicians and artists are already familiar with them. They just didn't think to teach that with a corporate audience. Uh, by the way, if you are an artist, speaking to corporate audiences is incredible money, Five, ten thousand $10,000 for an hour of your time to come play a little ditty. They absolutely love you. Talk a little bit about life as a musician. It's crazy money. So I was doing that. And then after about 20 years, I had music had kind of run its course Uh, I realized I didn't want to keep getting older and teaching twinkle, twinkle, little star. (laughs) Um, And it wasn't, it wasn't as fun. It wasn't as fulfilling as it used to be. Um, And it began to conflict with um, like my son, you know, symphony rehearsal now conflicts with Cub Scouts or baseball practice, or, I mean, it's just, it's like, no, this isn't the life that I want. Mm -hmm. And so I left freelance. And I moved into mindset, but I was already teaching mindset to corporate audiences. Um, So I did that. And one of the things that I picked up when I crossed that bridge was the Nobel nominated MindScan and the way it maps out your thinking patterns. So this allowed me to go to entrepreneurs, um, people who were also frustrated hitting the same obstacles, don't have enough time, don't have enough money. They're already doing everything they know to do. They're already doing everything that makes sense. But they're just one thought away from their next breakthrough. And the problem is you can't read the label from the inside of the bottle. So with use, by using the mind scan, we're able to map out their thinking patterns. And that gives us access to that aha moment, that thought that they just haven't considered yet. And then they were able to apply some of those same tools, right? Take your time out, become the supplier, the go-to source, and take your time out of the other aspect coming and going. And so now the business owners that I work with, they also double their revenue by working half as many hours. And I'd be happy to tell you, we could talk case study and story galore, mm-hmm. um, but just based on what they noticed in their thinking patterns, how they were solving the problems in a way that they hadn't considered. And it opened that up. So it was kind of a natural fit because I was already in mindset by speaking mm-hmm. to corporate audiences. It just became a matter of dedicating my calendar to serving people with that information.
0: Yeah. So in the, and I, I do want to get into the, the, the details of that, but just to kind of wrap up your own personal journey on that, how did you specifically then transition from what you're doing in the music industry to then finding different types of, of clients? Um, and how did your, let's say, well, marketing to them and marketing to your clients change when you switched from music to mindset?
1: For me, the find was a natural extension of what I was already doing uh, because I was already speaking at business type conferences. Um, Every state has about 400 associations, the associations of dentists, the associations of gas station owners, the association of school teachers. And all of those associations have monthly meetings and yearly meetings, and they all have speakers. Some of them pay the speakers, some of them don't. But I was speaking in these conferences um, for these associations. And so that put me in a room with people. Then it was just a matter of opening up. Hey, if you like what we talked about, you want to see what it would look like in your specific situation, let's grab a virtual coffee next week and um, see what that would look like. And so that led to me picking up a few one-on-one clients here and there. And then when it came time to just kind of cross the bridge, to full-time music, to full-time mindset, I already had that avenue I could go into and speak. And just now I'm speaking with the emphasis of one-on-one clients, which opened that up.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So let's get into the, the details then about your your work. Um, what does that process look like for somebody who, who just comes to you for the first time and, and wants to improve their their mindset?
1: Uh, they take the mind scan ultimately. Okay. Uh, like I, I have no idea what is going to make a difference for them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I can't, I don't know what's going on in their mind. I don't know what's going on in their business. I have no idea. And it would be malpractice for me to prescribe something without diagnosing it. So, uh, they just take the mind scan, okay. uh, It prints up their thinking patterns. Uh, we go through they, they get to see for themselves, oh yes, okay, that makes sense there. And oh yeah, I have been experiencing that there. And then at the end of that, they get to choose for themselves. Uh, would they like to stop experiencing those things? Um, does this way of thinking and this way of solving problems resonate with them? They get to choose for themselves. Uh, that, that's the beauty of the work that I do. You don't have to take my word for it. Uh, you don't have to believe me. Just try it for yourself and see if you think. This is a good fit for the way you want to live.
0: Mm-hmm. Could you describe what? So, you've mentioned mind scan a couple of times. So, what is the mind scan?
1: Uh, it is a Nobel nominated process for teaching you how to think at a higher level. Um, and the only reason you keep hitting the same obstacles you do, don't have enough time, don't have enough money, mm-hmm. is because you're doing things that currently make sense. And you're only one thought away from your next breakthrough. So the mind scan allows your mind to, to, or teaches your mind, gives your mind a path to start thinking at a higher level, a more efficient, a more elegant level. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're in the corn maze, you're not sure if you should go left or right, but when you stand on the ladder, everything becomes clear. Mm-hmm. And that's what the mind scan is like. It's like standing on a ladder for your business.
0: Interesting. And if you could just go a little more detail that so it is it does it ask you like a series of questions oh okay okay yeah
1: so uh, it is an assessment of sorts that you can take online okay um, now back in the 50s they used to do this with like you know slide rule and pencil <laughs> right uh, but we do have it digitized now uh, which okay. is absolutely amazing it's not questions though and that that's a real distinction i want to make mm-hmm. um, when you take something like DISC or Myers Briggs, Neogram, Strength Finders, uh, they are question based. Right. And because they're question based, uh, when you go to a party, do you go to the Punch Bowl or meet a new friend? Right. Exactly, because they're yes. question based, uh, your subconscious is gaming the system. Your subconscious is like, well, I want to be seen as this kind of person, or mm-hmm. I think they're asking me for this reason, and I'm working on that. So what you end up with is, somebody else's test results. Hmm. It wasn't the real story. It was your subconscious's story about what it's trying to present in the world. If you went to the doctor and they walked somebody else's test results, you'd be like, heck no. So this does not ask you questions. Um, What it has you do is arrange your values in the world, good and bad. Uh, So for example, what is more good in the world, a baby or a technical improvement? Well, they're both good for crying out loud, but for you, one of them is slightly more good mm-hmm. for reasons as unique as you are. Right. And by teasing these out, uh, we're able to build a picture of the way your mind solves problems in the world. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. Because we're teasing it with values, your subconscious can't game the system.
0: Okay. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So that makes, that makes a lot of sense then. Um, wonderful. Wonderful. So you, you mentioned a couple, cause I, I want to just kind of talk a little bit about some case studies. So you mentioned you've, obviously you've got probably hundreds of them, but is there one particularly, uh, without going into you know too much detail on, on the individual, but of just how some, some people or companies came to you confused. And then through this mindscape, uh, process, or I'm sorry, mind scan process, help them to uncover ways so they can work more efficiently and, and change their thinking.
1: So I'm going to share a case study, probably more relevant to artists, okay. um, musicians, dancers, painters, right? Um, this lady was making cookies. And so we call that cottage industry and her cookies were fantastic. Um, like, uh, Kyle, the Marine that jumped on the grenade that goes mm-hmm. on a to speaking tour. She makes cookies for his events. Um, the golfer, oh, wow. John Daly, she yeah. makes cookies yeah. for his events. Um, her cookies are incredible. Uh, they taste amazing. They look amazing. I don't know how she does it. Well, she's working at a nonprofit and she loves her job. And then on nights and weekends, she's making cookies, but she's working on nights and weekends, an additional 50 hours a week. She's absolutely burning the candle on both ends. This is clearly not sustainable. So she comes in and takes the mind scan. And one of the things that she was able to see is the way her mind solved problems by emphasizing how people feel, which is great for a lot of things, but it also has its limitations. Um, Some people solve problems by taking massive action also good for a lot of things but a lot of limitations they always have more on their (laughs) to-do list than they have time to get done Mm -hmm. it's not sustainable some people solve problems by um planning and systems Um, these are your religious rule followers and while there is a certain place for planning and systems uh without people (laughs) or people who are taking action it is of no value so she got clear on that and it opened up some other ways to solve those problems Again, you're only one thought away, but you can't read the label from the inside of the bottle. Your brain can't think of what it can't think of. And that's what makes the beauty of the mind scan shine, how it displays your avenue in your situation for a breakthrough. Mm -hmm. And so what she did specifically was she took her natural insight that she was discounting on the role that systems play and planning play. And this is just based on her unique mind scan systems and planning played for her. She took that and began to solve problems through a system way of thinking, a planning way of thinking. And by putting systems and structures and process in place that took her from 50 hours a week to 20 hours a week. And it tripled her income in that first year. So this gave her way more than enough income on her cookie cottage side business to quit her main job
0: mm-hmm.
1: because she started thinking about solving those problems differently. Instead of solving them based solely on how her customers felt, she began to solve them through taking her time out of the equation and building systems and processes to support her.
0: Hmm. Interesting. I'm So I'm curious on the idea of of fear and how that comes into play with some of this um, is how how do you work with your clients on the idea of fear? And how does this your the system help uh, your clients kind of approach fear in a different way?
1: Sure. Um it's legit. Fear's there. Um how we respond, how we respond to it tends to be the pickle. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a great uh, time in our conversation for the definition of courage. Courage means to feel afraid, but take action anyways. Mm. Um, We tend to live as if courage means to not feel afraid. That's not what it means. It means still feel afraid, but take action anyways. Now, how does this show up in the mind scan? There is a section of the mind scan for how you make sense of your own emotions, for how you make sense of your own sweet spot and your genius in the world, for how you make sense of what life is calling you to. Then that's where we start to tease out some of those fears and anxieties and limiting beliefs, see what it looks like on the mind scan so that we can begin to leverage your other natural strengths around that. Mm -hmm. And there certainly are fears. Uh, There certainly are limiting beliefs and feelings. Um, I know it's very common for musicians to have an ickiness about charging their their value, Mm -hmm. about charging more, almost like um, it's not noble. Um, The arts should be free and the arts should be free to everyone. And so the musician ends up in a spot where Um, they are struggling to make ends meet and that's not sustainable. Like if you can't live, then you can't create art. Right. Um, So this is not a sustainable path. And we have, we go in to do some of the mindset pushups to rewire the way we solve those problems. Um, Fear in business, uh, making the call, making the sale, asking your price, charging what you're worth, uh, taking risks, hiring somebody, firing somebody. Um, We solve that problem with mindset pushups that rewire the way your brain solves problems. Um, I've certainly had to cross that in my own world with uh, performance anxiety as a musician. Um, I know a lot of other musicians experience that. And of course, when you're in that, the common advice is totally worthless. Mm-hmm. Uh, for example, just do your best. it turns out that just doing your best makes the problem worse um you you need to practice more and prepare more it turns out that makes it worse um eat a banana before you go on stage imagine the audience in your in their underwear oh just don't worry about it all that crap just makes it worse it doesn't work um so when we get into the the mindset push-ups it rewires your brain to solve that problem because you know that there are plenty of musicians out there that they shine on stage. They shine under pressure. That is their favorite place to be. As a matter of fact, they are they struggle when they're like in a private lesson or something. They, they struggle. Then they, they get the most anxiety, the most nerves. Once you put them on stage, man, they really go to it. Um, so it's just a matter of rewiring your brain to start to think like their brain thinks. So at the end of the day, if you keep hitting the same obstacle, don't have enough time, don't have enough money. It's not because you're not working hard enough. It just means there's something about that situation that your brain hasn't seen. Once we map out how your brain solves problems, we're able to see what that is. And with the mindset pushups, we can rewire it so that you start to live the life that you see other people living.
0: Mm-hmm. Could you give me an example of what a mindset pushup is like?
1: A mindset pushup are that your brain has to rewire itself in order to solve. Mm -hmm. Um, So an an illustration of the feeling and how it works comes from riding a bicycle. When you're five years old and they take off the training wheels and you're wobbly and you don't have it, your crazy aunt Jenny comes by with some well-meaning advice and crazy aunt Jenny says you need to go faster because if you go faster, it's easier to balance. And you think to yourself, that is the dumbest idea I have ever heard. If I can't balance going slow, how is that? That's just good. This is why they call her crazy aunt Jenny. And then one day you went faster and you felt balance in your body. And the instant you felt balance in your body, your brain went, oh my gosh, now I understand this is what she was talking about. Okay. Here's the deal before your body felt the difference. No amount of information made a difference. After your body felt the difference, no amount of information was needed. And this is a situation anybody's in when you were trying to talk them out of or talk them into a different emotional state. If somebody's body is in stage fright, no amount of information is going to change that their body has to feel the shift before their brain can understand. If somebody is in self-doubt and I'm not good enough and I don't deserve and nobody likes you can't talk them out of that. Their body has to feel the shift before their brain can see another perspective. So in our work, rather than life coaching, (laughs) rather than giving you advice, (laughs) we just put you on tiny bicycles. Um, And these are experiences for your heart and mind. And as a result of experiencing that sensation, it causes them to rewire the way they solve those problems. So now no information is needed. Like your brain naturally gets it. Mm -hmm. So that's an example of how they work. Um, A specific example of um, like what a mindset pushup might be. Um, This one would be kind of like a a business exercise. And the caveat in me describing this, the, the caveat is it will be of no value to you unless you actually go through it. So like, in a way, I'm kind of doing your audience a disservice by explaining it. Mm -hmm. Um, Similar to if you're five years old and I explain how to ride a bicycle and you leave going, oh, yeah, yeah, I I get it. I totally (laughs) understand. Yeah, I know how to ride a bicycle. Yeah, Right. It creates that illusion. Um, But that being said, um, here's an example of what a mindset pushup might look like. So if we're working with somebody and they are tired of whatever, not having enough time, not having enough money. Um, they're getting older and they're tired of being busy around their kids. They want to be present with their kids. Um, they're tired of giving art away for free. They want something that's sustainable so that they still have the energy, you know, and the health and the resources to create more art, to help more people. Um, they're tired of that, being stuck in that. Um We might, and and so they're like, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. If I don't come up with $10,000 this month, my company's going under. Oh my gosh, how am I? So they go to work coming up with ideas. uh, What's going to get them to $10,000? Well, I could do this. I could do that. I could do this. Okay. So they're coming up with all these ideas. Mm -hmm. that's going to solve the $10,000 problem. Uh, What we would do is two things. Um, One, send them down the road to sit in the boardroom of the other company that has to come up with hundred thousand dollars or they are going under and listen to how they come up and solve problems. Listen to the ideas and solutions they come up with. And then if we were working with them, we would make them come up with hundred thousand dollar solutions this month, this month, you need to come up with 10, screw that come up with a hundred. Now, the first thing that happens is their brain breaks down. Their brain says that's impossible. It can't be done. And you have to let them sit with that. You have to let them sit in that experience of impossibility. Mm -hmm. This is part of the bicycle, part of what rewires the brain. They have to feel, they have to face the impossibility of that situation. From there, what they begin to see is that it's not actually impossible. Because there are plenty of people that have to solve that problem every month and they successfully solve it. It's only impossible with the current way of thinking. Hmm. The current strategy will not get us there. So then they're like, okay, technically it can be done. I don't know how to do it. Aha. That's different. It's different that you don't know how, as opposed to saying it's impossible. Hmm. Now we're clear that it's just your way of thinking the solutions you're coming up with might get you to 10, but they're not going to get you to hundred. They're not going to get you to a million and plenty of businesses have to solve those problems. And they do. Okay. So these ideas aren't going to work. Well, what is going to work? What would get you to a hundred? They're like, ah, I don't know. Maybe if I did this, okay. Do you have the resources to do that? No, I don't. Okay. Well, then that's not a solution. Keep trying. Well, what if I did this? Do you have the resources to do that? No, I don't. You know, I, I can't run ads or i would uh, i can't put up billboards or i would okay we'll keep going so then we begin to take your time and your money off the table how could you how could you get ads out there get advertising out there get whatever your face out there without spending money how else could it be done now they begin to well Um, A friend of mine does this. I could partner with them. Well, a friend of mine does this. I could consult with them. Well, a friend of mine does this. Maybe I could ask them who they know. Oh, now we're talking. We've taken your money out of the equation. So now you're having to solve the problem by relationships. This was a strategy you weren't looking at earlier. Mm -hmm. And we keep going. By the way, this is a very hard conversation because the brain is having to rewire itself for what is possible in their business. But we keep going and keep pushing until eventually their brain sees what it was missing before. And then they're like, holy freak, I totally can raise 100000 this month. I can do it in this way. I can speak on this stage. I can joint venture with this person. I could make this offer to this audience. I could get the sponsorship from this place. It's a win-win-win for everybody involved. I, I can totally do that. Now they're thinking at a much higher level, a much more efficient level. Suddenly they realize that $10,000 is, are you kidding? That's like a waste of my time. <laughs> that's, that's me doing it the hard way. Mm-hmm. That's right. And this is why it's true that the less you work, the more you make. It is far easier to do a hundred in a month than it is 10 in a month
0: mm-hmm.
1: because we're taking your time and money out of the equation, you are no longer the bottleneck, you're solving problems by thinking at a higher level.
0: Mm -hmm. Wow, that's wonderful. And I love that analogy. That's absolutely fantastic. Thank you for walking through that. That's um, a process sounds like it would be amazing for everybody just to go through to challenge our thought process. I'm also along this, you have written a book, The Thinking Pattern of Success. Tell me about your book.
1: Thinking Patterns of Success, it is currently undergoing final edits, getting ready for print. You can get the executive summary on my website, Um, although I'm sure it is loaded with typos because the book (laughs) is still in the process of being edited. Um, But yeah, Thinking Patterns of Success, Uh, we go over more mindset pushups. We go over more different thinking patterns, how they show up, um, why it's true that the less you work, the more you make, what the thinking patterns look like of people that own multiple businesses but don't work multiple full-time jobs. Even the thinking patterns, you've seen artists, musicians, people that just seem to go from success to success to success, they always have more than enough time, always have more than enough money. They keep getting the best gigs. We see in the book what their thinking patterns look like, how their Mm -hmm. brain solves problems so that you can start to learn to think like them. Um, All of it, of course, based on the mind scan, don't take my word for it. Don't believe me. Just try it for yourself.
0: (laughs) I love it. So with everything that you have done and experienced, what would you say has been the best advice that you ever received?
1: Always go to the funeral. I know that seems like silly advice, um, but we we go through life and funerals and our friends are never at a convenient time for us. Mm -hmm. Always go to the funeral. Go like to take, take off work. You're still going to have work tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Stop solving that problem. It's still going to be there tomorrow. Always go to the funeral. Mm-hmm. Go support them.
0: Yeah. Wonderful. Well, Jared, thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with me. I really appreciate it. If the listeners would like to um, check out what you're working on, sign up for, for your, coaching, or even buy your book. Where is the best places they can go to do all of that?
1: Mindsetperformance.co.
0: Wonderful. And I will put that link in the show notes. They also can just click right through. Uh, But again, thank you so much. This has been an absolute pleasure. All
1: right, take care.
0: Thank you for listening to another episode of Advance Your Art with Yuri Cataldo. If you like this episode, please remember to give us a five-star rating, like, and share with a friend. Our theme music is written and mixed by Chicago-based composer Ryan Black of Black Bones Collaborative. To listen to the full catalog of our episodes, go to advanceyourart.com. To see what I'm working on or book a time with me or buy a copy of my book, Be Left Behind, go to yuricataldo.com. Thank you so much and have a great day.